Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Hey, my name is uh, TJ, if you don't know, and I'm one of the pastors here at Coastal. We're glad that you're with us as we're beginning a brand new series today called Grow a Pair. And, um, and so uh, I know that that is, is uh, it's probably a familiar phrase to most of you. If it's not, welcome to earth. Um, it's, a, it's a common phrase that's used here. And, and let me just say this, this, this might be a little bit PG-13, so if you have some younger kids, uh, you might want to take them to Coastal Kids if, if you're okay with them. Hearing about real life stuff, I, I really believe that this will be helpful to them. It'll be helpful to you. It'll be helpful to everyone. And and we, the reason I named this series "Grow a Pair" is because uh, it's it's a form of encouragement, typically that guys give to other guys when they need to step up in certain moments. And and so it, I, I really do believe it is a form of encouragement. Some guys might think it's not. It might be a little bit of a jab, but it really at the heart of it. There's, there's, there's encouragement there. And, and really the basis is, is the idea of grow a pair is, is that somewhere, some way, somehow uh, along the way, uh, a man somehow lost a certain pair of things that if he were able to find them or identify them or regrow them, would be able to step up into the moment that is there before them. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, lean over to your neighbor and ask them for an anatomy lesson, okay? Okay. Um, but I, <laughs> oh man, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to do this series is, and, and there's actually three reasons I really, really wanted to do this series. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is, is because I believe that today the definition of manhood has been diluted so much by culture and the idea that men and women uh, we're all the same, that we are all the same, and, and we are equal, but we are not the same. I'm all about equality. I believe that Jesus was all about equality. Um, I, I believe that equality is a, is a very, very, very good thing, um, but we have confused equality and sameness over and over again, and, and I think that if we look at things, we'll will realize that men and women are equal. We have equal gifts. We have equal talents. But we are definitely not the same. There's some distinctness that is a little bit different. And the truth is, is that the reason why we've wanted this idea of sameness or the quote-unquote idea of equality is because for so long, women were suppressed. And, and I think that that's completely wrong. And the way that we get equality is not to beat men up and tear them down. The way that we get equality is to build women up, okay? And so, like, I'm tired of this idea that we are all the same because we are not. Uh, I also believe that nowhere on the planet has the idea of manhood been more hijacked than in the local church. Um, for some reason, in the local church, um, I, don't, I don't know when this happened, but Somewhere we started teaching that men must surrender their hopes and their personalities and their ideas and their dreams um, if they want to follow Christ. And for some reason, we have this perception that Jesus was this weak kind of person and frail. And, and I don't think that that's how Jesus was at all. There's a reason Jesus rolled into temples and, and threw tables around and beat crap up, okay? Like Jesus was a man. And somewhere in the church, we've said, hey, we're going to remove, if you remove your spine, if you remove your testicles, if you remove everything that makes you a man, then maybe then can Jesus use you. And that's just 100% false. 
And, and therefore, one of the reasons I want to talk, talk about biblical manhood is because um, I just think that if, if I was a man, which I am, and I, was, I just want to identify that, I'm, I am a dude, um, and the Bible taught me to surrender my manhood, which it doesn't, like there's no way in the world I would go to church. There's no way in the world I would be a part of something like that. Uh, the other reason I want to talk about this subject in particular is because of the concept of the growing a pair stands in a pretty stark contrast to that of this idea of emasculation. Um, I've observed that so many guys today believe that simply because they were born with certain testicles that they are more dominant, that they are better, that they are uh, they, they should just dominate over everything else, that they should have bigger jobs, better places to live, bigger trucks, whatever it may be. And, uh, and oftentimes, a man's, a man's masculinity isn't measured by his character today. It's measured by how many women he's slept with or how many women he's discarded in life. And what's happened is, is because that's been a view of manhood, we have a whole bunch of guys that are out there that are getting women pregnant, thinking that they're a man when really all they are is just a bunch of sperm donors. And today what we need to be doing is becoming a man, and instead of just being a sperm donor, we need to become a husband and a father and live out the way that Jesus called us to live and the God's word called us to live and, and not take up with the other flip side of this whole idea that the church has bought into, that, that men are supposed to dominate their wives and dictate to their, to their children and just overwhelm and dominate them because that's not biblical either. And so whether we've bought into the concept of domination or whether we've bought into this concept of emasculation, I really believe that most men are living with an incredibly distorted view of what the Bible says a man should be. And, and honestly, many men, and, and I would say the majority of men, for some reason, aren't very good at being leaders, which is exactly what we need to be because that's what God has called us to be. And the reason we're not good at being leaders is because is we don't know how or we're too afraid to try. And so my hope for this series and my hope really for today is, is that you would come back next week. Um, that's really, really my hope for today, um, is that you would, you would listen today and be encouraged today, but more than anything, that you would take a chance and come back next week and the week after that, because I believe that what's going to be taught in here is going to be very, very important to your spiritual growth as men and as women, because these principles and the things that we're going to talk about, these pairs of characteristics, uh, don't just apply to men, they apply to all of us. And, and before we get on this idea that this is going to be a series about man bashing, uh, because I already, I can already feel the the women like, yes, this is awesome. Beat my husband up some more. Um, let me just say this, ladies, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. Number one, because um, you have allowed um, culture to identify your worth and your value, and so you're going around and you're letting some guy or some magazine or some blog post identify your worth and therefore your worth is based on other people's perceptions instead of the thing that it should be based on which is God and what he wants to do in your life. The other part of the problem is is that a lot of you have settled for much less than what you should have in life and so you go and you settle for whatever dude shows up that is probably just that sperm donor and then you wake up one day and you go what the heck did I do? 
because you settled for so much less than what could be for your life. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into looking at some examples throughout the Bible that are, that are going to be based on men, uh, because this is a series geared towards men, but that does not mean it's not applicable to everyone here. And so I would ask that you would take uh, the time to open your minds and be receptive to what God wants to do, because I believe what God wants to instill in your life is something that's going to be very powerful for not just today and not just tomorrow, but for your future and for not just your generation, but for your children and your children's children. And, uh, and I don't want us to miss out on this. So I, I would encourage you to, to don't close down, don't shut down. Like it's not going to be that bad. I promise it will get better. And so uh, I know this about my life is the, the most important moments in my life haven't been because I got like a really good birthday gift. Um, that has not been a redefining moment of my life. Most of the defining moments of my life as an adult have come in the difficult times. They've come in the times where I've faced the biggest problems, where I've faced the biggest obstacles, where I've faced um, some large amounts of disappointment, where I haven't achieved everything that I wanted to achieve, and I'm in a struggle. Those have been the moments that I've seen uh, my life gets shaped the most as far as direction, the most as character, the most as characteristics that have come to define my life. These are the moments that have probably kept me up the most at night, uh, thinking about how am I going to overcome these moments? How are these moments not going to define my life, but how am I going to make myself better from these moments? And, and what I found is that life happens in the messy moments. I mean, wouldn't we all agree with that? Life happens in the messy aspects of life. Uh, like the most defining aspects of our life weren't the good times. The most defining parts of our life is when we face that difficulty and maybe we got trashed by that difficulty or maybe we overcame that difficulty, but all of a sudden something great came out of that in our lives. And today we're going to start to look at the very real and the very messy life of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph wasn't a guy that just like had a a bad day. Joseph was a guy who had like a rough life. I mean, it wasn't just like one day it, was, uh, it wasn't too good. I mean, it was like a constant over and over and over again, rough, rough life. And they spent the majority of his life wrestling with voices that were constantly telling him his worth and his value and his identity in life. It's not much different than us today because most of us are wrestling every single day with voices that are constantly telling us who we are, what we're worth, and what our value is. And we're constantly trying to, to figure that out. And, and we're trying to figure out, am I really worth something? Am I worthless? Where, what should I settle for? What should I achieve in life? And we're hearing all these competing voices in life. And in Joseph's lives, instead of listening to all the competing voices, he chose to ignore those voices and listen to one voice. And hopefully today, through this talk, you will help identify the right voice in your life. Because there's a voice that comes from God, and he says this about you in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Basically meaning God is not looking at the same circumstances of life that we're always looking at to define our lives. It says, man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And because... God looks at the heart. He has a different perception and a different idea of what our life is looking like. But a lot of us, we're looking at life and we're finding our identity based on our life. We're a lot like Joseph. And, and today I just want to kind of tell you Joseph's story. Because I believe in Joseph's story is we're gonna, where we're going to find a lot of the same things that Joseph found himself in. Because a lot of us, 
find our identity in places where we've been in life. Those places where we've been in life. And, and if you don't know Joseph's story, Joseph um, was the youngest of 11 sons. He eventually had a 12th uh, brother, but he was the youngest of them. He was the only son to a particular wife that his father had. His father had many wives. And, uh, and so he, was, he happened to be his father's wife's, his father's wife was his father's favorite. And so when Joseph was born, all of a sudden, even though he was the youngest at the time, he became the family favorite. And because he was the family favorite, his dad treated him differently. And I don't know about you, but if you grow up in a family with, with multiple siblings and you happen to be the favorite, you got preferential treatment. And preferential treatment meant you lived a little bit differently than everybody else. And so Joseph got things that other brothers didn't have. And he had uh, some opportunities to do things that other people didn't get the opportunity to do. And because he had that, it made his brothers very jealous. Anybody ever dealt with some jealous people? Jealous people suck. Like they are always trying to, to hate on your life. And in a lot of us, we understand Joseph, because of where Joseph had been, Joseph kind of had a little bit of an attitude about him. Like he thought he was a little bit better than the rest of his brothers because of his status with his father, because of his uh, identity with his father, because his dad favored him. All of a sudden, he thought a little bit more highly of himself. And a lot of us, we've come out of those same situations. Maybe we're a first child, and because we're the first child, we think we're better than all of our siblings. Or maybe we're the youngest child, and because we're the youngest child, we are treated way differently than all of our other siblings. And because of our status of where we've been in the placement of our families, we have a certain aura or a certain countenance about us, and we carry ourselves in that way, and we have find our identity in that. Or maybe you were the first in your class. You were the smart kid in your class, and therefore you identify yourself as valedictorian, and you always think that you're better than everybody else because of where you've been in life. Then there's some of us that we were at the lower end of the spectrum with myself in our class, and we, so we always perceived ourselves as stupid. Come on. Some of y'all know that you were in the stupid part of the class too, okay? It's okay. This is church. <laughs> we can be honest here. I mean, when you get half your points on the SAT for signing your name and you get that wrong, I mean, there's not much hope for you. And so Joseph was finding his status, and a lot of us find our status and our worth and where we've been in life, where, where, what position we've held at a company, or what position we didn't held at a company, where we were born, what school we went to. I know that there's some Duke, Duke fans in here that they're holding some pretty good status today, whereas some UNC fans feel pretty horrible right now. They feel less than, and they should because they are. And so, uh, <laughs> go Duke. Um, it's going to be a rough rest of the season for you. Anyways, uh, we find our identity where we've been. You know, some of us are singing Drake songs, wishing, wishing it was us. Started at the bottom, now I'm at the top. You know, you're doing all that. If you don't know what that is, you don't need to know, okay? But Joseph has this dream, and, uh, his dream is because of his idea of where he stands in the family, he feels like he has this arrogance that he can say whatever he feels like. And so he starts to share with his siblings that, uh, you know what, one day y'all are going to bow down to me. Now, when your 17-year-old kid brother tells you that you're going to bow down to him, 
pretty much that means you're going to beat the crap out of him. And that's exactly what his brothers did. They beat the freaking snot out of him. And they said, you know what, let's, let's get rid of this joker. And so they threw him in a well, and they said, we're just going to kill him. And one of the brothers thought, like, let's not kill him. Let's profit off of him. Like, that's good brotherhood right there. Let's make a profit off of our siblings. Brother discount, JP. Brother discount. And so, uh, sorry, inside joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so what happens is they sell him, and he ends up in slavery. And eventually he is bought by a gentleman named Potiphar who happens to be high up in Pharaoh's uh, cabinet. And, and Joseph starts to rise in prominence. He is... He's extremely good-looking. He has a great work ethic. Uh, he has a lot of gifts and a lot of talents. Uh, being beat up and sold into slavery humbled him a little bit. But yet, at the same point, um, those things are coming true in his life. And so what starts to happen for a lot of us is, is what we've done starts to be the identifier for our life, the things that we've accomplished in life. And Joseph starts accomplishing a lot. Just like a lot of us have accomplished some things, man, we we. We've gotten to the top of our career path or we've got this set amount of money and we find security there and therefore we identify ourselves in that spot or we've, we've made a position in life and that's where our identity comes from. And what happens is, is we start to identify with that spot and life happens. And when life happens, it always messes with our identity. And, and so we find Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Like, he had accomplished a lot of the gym. There had been a, a, a gym there, and, man, that dude was working out because he was well-built. He was swole. He was a lot like me. I mean, just lean and ripped. He probably had some more hair, but up. And after a while, because he was so good-looking and he had so much going for him, it says the, his wife's master took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And it says he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, nor does he concern himself or, or in everything he owns, he has entrusted my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Basically, like, man, I am at the top of my game right now. Like, I've got it going on, and, like, my identity is found in this, and I don't want to mess that up for anything. And he says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing as sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And Joseph is, is doing the wise thing. He's doing the right thing. What he's done in life is all of the right things. And yet his circumstances turn really bad because she ends up getting him thrown in prison by telling a lie. Some of you guys can identify with that because in life you have followed all the rules. You have done everything right. You've crossed every T. You've dotted every I. You've tried to make sure that everything is perfect. But yet your circumstances have not worked out the way that you thought they would based on the fact that you've done everything right. It's not about what you've done. For some of you, it's what you haven't done. It's what you haven't done. You had the opportunity, and, and, and instead of walking away, you dove in and you had the affair. And you messed up your life. And now you look at your life and you're, you're like, I'm just a screw up because of what you've done in life. And Joseph ends up getting thrown in prison. And now what he's done is he's screwed up and he's, he's identifying himself as a prisoner. And in prison, some, some of his cellmates have some dreams. 
and they can't figure out the dreams. And Joseph says, man, I can help you with those. And the first one, he says, man, your dream sucks. You're about to die. And uh, like, not good news for you. The second one, your dream is really good. You're going to get taken out of here. And all I want you to do when you get out of here is remember me. Pretty simple request. Pretty simple thing. And the guy does remember. 13 years later. Some of you guys are feeling pretty forgotten right now in life. That's your identity. Man, I was, I was discarded. I was forgotten. My dad left me. I was abandoned. I was unwanted. And the reason you find that identity is because of what has happened to you in life. And what's happened to Joseph is, is horrible. I mean, he was abandoned by his family. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about and then getting put back in jail. Like, what's happened to his life has sucked. And then the guy that was there to help him forgot about him. Eventually, when he does remember about Joseph, is when the Pharaoh has a dream and he can't have it interpreted. And the guy goes, man, there was a guy that interpreted my dream in prison. We should go find him. And Joseph comes out and interprets this dream. And, and it, everything in the dream comes true. And Pharaoh puts him over everything in Egypt, and he's second in command of Egypt, and they have seven good years of plenty, and then they have seven years of, of just horrible, horrible despair. And because they've planned well, everybody throughout the world is coming to Egypt to get supplies. And Joseph is now ingrained in, in what he's become as the second in command, and lo and behold, some people from his land come, and it happens to be his brother's. And I think about the story of Joseph all the time because if anybody had the right to repay somebody for what they did, it was him. Anybody ever want to just repay somebody for what they did? Like you just want to get somebody back? Like you need to get what's coming to you. Come on, we said that before. Like, like man, they're going to get what's coming to them. And, and his brother show up. And he recognizes them, and they don't recognize him. Like, right there in that moment, I can't imagine what I would do. I would love to say I would be really Christ-like, but I doubt it. Like, I would be like, what they did was unfair, and what I'm going to do to them is fair. They get what they deserve, right? Like, isn't that what we're taught all throughout life? Like, people should get what they deserve. What's fair and what's unfair? What's unfair is what happened to him. What's fair is that they're going to pay for what they did. That's fair. That's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Joseph does something very, very different than, than I would do. Joseph identifies himself probably after a couple of weeks of thinking about all the things he would like to do to them. And this is what he says in Genesis 15, 19 through 21. It says, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph responded in a way that, that I couldn't respond or I probably wouldn't respond. And he responded uh, 
in spite of all the voices of this life that told him, like, it's time to get even. Joseph listened to a voice that was greater than his voice, and the way he responded was with this word grace. He responded in a way that said, like, even though you deserve to get everything that's coming to you, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And instead of listening to the voices that would have been running rampant through my mind of let's get them, he listened to a voice that was far greater than the voices in his mind, and that was the voices of his creator who said, we're going to extend grace to them. We're going to extend grace to them. But for some reason, those same destructive voices that are in our lives, we listen to them way more clearly than we ever listen to the voice of God. Those voices that are so pervasive in our culture, in our relationships, in, our, in the society that we're surrounded with, we find our worth and we find our value in those voices. I, I know for sure that Joseph would have felt justified and would have felt valued by doing anything he could have done to get back at those people. But that isn't what God wanted. See, God says he doesn't care about the circumstances of our life. And I know that this is going to mess with some of y'all's theology. But God could really care less about your circumstances. What God cares about is your heart. And what he's after is your character, not your comfort. And he will use the circumstances of your life to create the character that he's trying to form in your life so that you will have a heart that is fully abandoned to him. And this story of Joseph over the years has just bothered me so much. It's bothered me. And, and, and as I was reading this story, there is this truth that was, has been revealed to me. And, and it doesn't really come from the story. It comes from something Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said this, he said, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, don't strike them back, but offer your other cheek as well. Every time I've heard that scripture, I used to think, why the heck would Jesus say that? Like, why, like, I hate that teaching right there. Like, if somebody punches you, let them punch you again. Like, if somebody does you wrong, let them wrong you again. Like, that doesn't make sense to me, and, and I just missed what Jesus was saying there. What Jesus wasn't saying is he wasn't saying, like, let people walk all over you, let people beat you up, let people dominate your life, let people rule over you, let people take advantage of you. Those were the things that Jesus was not saying. What Jesus was saying right there is something completely different. He was saying, listen, when you get slapped or when you get punched or when somebody does something that hurts you or belittles you or abuses you or abandons you, when those things happen in your life you need to be the person that says like give this all to me because this right here is going to stop right here this thing that is happening in life is stopping it's not going to continue the cycle that is happening right now in my life is not going to continue in other words what it's saying is is that it says your dad might have been abusive and he and his dad might have been abusive and they abuse you but that does not mean that the cycle that started in your life has to continue in your life that cycle can stop right now that might mean that you have failed in life and you failed over and over and over again and you look at your life as a failure and right now you can stop that cycle right now if you identify with the right thing. For some of you, your, your, marriage, your parents' marriages ended in divorce and your friends' marriages have ended in divorce and, and your marriage looks like it's going to end in divorce. You can stop that cycle right now. He said, man, you can make a difference in this moment with God's strength. You don't have to continue in the destructive traditions that you found yourself in. 
You don't have to continue down those paths. And most of us don't realize how destructive those things have been in our lives until we start to take a look back at our lives and how we've tried to get even for what's happened to us. Only when we start to reflect in the past and every counselor or psychologist will tell you that this, that your behavior based on what's happened to you is more destructive than what's happened to you. And a lot of us are allowing what's happened to us to dictate all of our behavior and it's jacking our lives up because we have a perverted view of who we are. And we have a jacked up view of who we are. And so the question comes is, what do I do with what happened to me? What do I do with where I've been and, and what I've done in life? Like, what do I need to do in that moment? Because I can't change those things. I can't undo those things. I can't reverse those things. And what I would say to you today is, is what you need to do is you need to grow a pair. What I'm not saying is that you need to man up or step up or, or just suppress those feelings and move on past that. Because that's not what God wants you to do. What God wants you to do here today is realize that there are some characteristics that are missing in your life that you need to find in order to become the person that God wants you to become. And particularly in this story, they're identified in two characteristics, identity and integrity. And this is really important. Identity is realizing whose you are, not what you are. And that whose is spelled wrong because I don't use spell check. So, I apologize for all you grammar nuts. I'm just going to point it out right now. It's realizing whose you are, not what you are. And identity means you have to find a higher, a better, a purer source, one that isn't based on the ever-changing circumstances of your life, to be a voice that reminds you of who you are and what you're worth. And this is so important because when you come to believe the voices that are in your life, those voices that are in your life, then you'll choose a life that is consistent with the voices in your life. And integrity is living a life that's consistent with your identity. Because the word integrity means inseparable. It means one. It means linked together. In, in other words, it means you can only be one person in life. You can't be multiple people. That's why so many of you guys have bought into an identity that is I'm worthless and I suck. And you try to live for Jesus and you wonder why you fail all the time. Because your identity is you suck, but you keep going back and saying, but I want to be free. But you're living with an identity here and you can't be two different people. If you're identifying with this voice, if you say I suck and I'm worthless, you know what you're going to do throughout life? You're going to see yourself as sucking and worthless. And everything you're going to do is going to be sucking and worthless. We've got to find a, and start to live a life that is consistent with our identity so that way we'll live out the truth of who we're supposed to be. If we're constantly thinking we're a stupid failure, you know what's going to happen is you're going to fail in life and you're going you're to start to fail enough that you're going to start to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a failure and so I'm going to fail at everything and that's going to be consistent of your life because you've identified yourself as a failure. And a lot of us have found our identity in things that are jacked up. And so identity and integrity, how do these factor into your life today? How do they factor? Because some of us have been listening to the wrong voices for so long. And worst of all, we've chosen to see ourselves in the light of those voices. We've chosen to see ourselves in the exact words of those voices, and we're wondering why we're not living the life that God intended for us to live. 
because we've listened to the wrong voices. And we can continue to listen to the voices of this world, or we can listen to the voice who created this world. And God has got a different identity for your life. He's got a different purpose and a plan for your life. He's got a different outlook on how your life looks. In fact, God says, you are my child and I'm your father. Man, if you'll just believe that, then you won't feel abandoned because I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. God says, man, you're forgiven from every sin and mistake you've ever made in Ephesians 1, 4 through 8. Like, you don't have to be a mistaker anymore. You don't have to be a failure anymore because that's taken care of. In John 3, 16, he says, listen, a lot of you, you feel like you're not loved, but you know what? You are loved. I've so loved you that I gave it all. Brothers of you, you need to hear today that, man, that you are a new creation. Your old way of living is gone, and God's got a new path for you if you'll start to believe his truth about you. Instead of identifying yourself and where you've been and what you've done and what's happened to you, you need to start identifying yourself with the voice of God. And for some of you, that's really hard because those other voices, you've been listening to them so long that it sounds crazy to hear that that's not who you are. But the truth is, and Jesus said this, if you'll know the truth, if you'll identify yourself with the truth, which is Jesus, then what he'll do is he'll bring freedom. And see, today what some of us need to do is we need to break free from some preconceived ideas of who we are and what we've been about so that we can live in the oneness of what God wants for our lives. Many of us, we can look at Joseph's story and we can identify because we've had a jacked up past. Man, we've had people abandon us. We've had people hurt us. We've had people do all kinds of things. And because we've had such a horrible life, it, it isn't that hard to, to see why some of us would say, you know what, because it's been so bad, man, I'm just going to seek a little comfort from Potiphar's wife. But Joseph, because he saw his identity differently, he said, man, how could I ever sin against God like that? Even if people treat me like dirt, even if people say I'm a slave, I'm not, man, I belong to God. If Joseph allowed his circumstances to dictate his identity, then logically he should have paid his brothers back over and over and over again for every single thing that they ever did to him. And all that would have done by doing that is proving that his brother still had power over him. But instead he said, man, you're not in power over me. The one that's in power over me is my God. Instead, Joseph chose to listen to a vo different voice. What about you? What voice are you listening to today? Are you listening to the voices of this world? Are you listening to everything that's around you? Are you listening to what culture is telling you? Or are you listening to what God's telling you? Because where we find our identity is going to determine how we live our life with integrity. But if we don't find our identity in Christ, we'll miss it. And let me just tell you something. Some of you might have found your identity in other things. And God's saying, today, I want to change your identity. And it starts with a decision. It starts with a decision to know me. Your identity comes from Jesus and him alone. And maybe today, you'd like to experience that. Because you don't know what it's like to be free. And God's saying, today is the day 
to start on your pathway to freedom. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you that you are greater and you are bigger than any circumstance, than any situation, than any of our past history, than any of our past accomplishments, than where we've been and what we've done. And this is what I know is that some of us today, the place we need to start to find our identity is in a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're out there with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe that's you here today. You've, you've heard all about God. You've heard about this, but you've never had a relationship with God. This isn't about rules and religion. This is about a relationship with a heavenly father that loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could have this life and have it more abundantly. And if you're out there and you need to make that identifying step, if you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, God, I just come before you. And I realize that I found my worth and I found my value in a lot of different things. But today I reject those voices and I turn to your voice. And I recognize that you died for my sin and for my shame and for my mistakes and for all the junk of my life. And then when you died on the cross, that your blood was shed so that I could be forgiven. And you died, and three days later, you rose again. And today, God, I ask you to forgive me of all those screw-ups and mess-ups and sins. And I accept your love, and I accept your grace. God, and most of all, I accept your identity. As a son, as a daughter. And God, I pray that you would come into our lives and transform us today from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.